Max Dean is football, and I am Max Dean, aka the most tired dad on YouTube. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean, and today I have what was promised. Uh, I am going to start the deep dive series with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Got the rest of the AFC North lined up over the next few days, hopefully. Uh, and essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at three aspects of the team. I'm going to look at their draft tendencies and history. I'm going to look at their salary cap as it stands. And then I'm going to look at the layout of the roster for 2022 um, and, and kind of what they might be projected to, to look like. So if you're a Steelers fan, uh, welcome. I haven't really done a lot of Steelers-focused stuff before, I think. I've done a Ben Roethlisberger contract thing here or there. But the idea is that if you're finding me on YouTube, you're going to be able to find the draft, cap, and roster in three separate videos, probably around 15 minutes each. And if you uh, find, if you want to listen to it in podcast format without any of the graphics and stuff, then you'll probably get it all in one approximately 45-minute chunk. So this is the first one I'm doing. The Bengals will be next. And... Um, just, uh, if you like it, please like the video, subscribe, you can comment below, and that helps out a lot. I put a lot of time into crunching all the numbers and everything. And uh, another thing that helps is, like, you know, tweet out the video or uh, or uh, share, share it in any uh, uh, fan message boards that, that you're a part of. Because uh, if you get the word out to the other fans, then it really does help me out. Okay, so without further ado, let's jump into it. Um, again, we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you are going to get um, three key parts of what is going on within the Steelers organization right now. So, uh, the Steelers organization is a pretty successful one long term. Um, they have a lot of continuity for the most part within the organization. Obviously, the quarterback situation has changed for the first time in a very long time. But overall, they've been headed up uh, by Kevin Colbert for about 23 years now. Um, so he started in 2000 um, as the director of football operations, the highest ranking uh football executive outside of the Rooney family, I believe, for about 10 years. Then he was given the official GM title, which he's had ever since, along with picking up vice president along the way. Um, he was a Blesto guy, so it's a, that's a scouting organization. For I'm sure a lot of Steelers fans know that, but for those of you who might not be Steelers fans, um, that is... Uh, a scouting organization that was originally started by a number of different teams in the NFL. And so he's a pretty old school guy when it comes to the scouting and team building process. And you're going to see that a little bit in some of the stuff I'm going to talk about. Um, they, they've done a pretty good job of, uh, of changing with the times. Um, I'm curious to see what the new iteration of the Steelers is going to look like. So um, it was put out there that he was going to retire after this draft cycle. Actually, I believe initially it was put out that he was going to retire after the season, but they went through the draft cycle with him. And it makes a lot of sense because I think they always knew that they wanted to get a quarterback this coming draft. So having that experienced guy kind of run the draft room um, 
and get that taken care of before they move on to the next um, the next leadership. It made a ton of sense. Um, head coach Mike Tomlin been there since uh, 2007. He spent uh, aside from one year as a defensive coordinator of the Vikings, the majority of his uh, elsewhere NFL career on the defensive staff for the Buccaneers back uh, when Gruden was there. So, um, excellent head coach. I think the biggest thing that I can say about what I see in him and what he brings to the table is, obviously, he's a very good communicator to his, to his players. Um, and the preparation is always there. It's always there. Like, they always are on top of everything. So, you know, whatever periodic talent deficiencies they have or whatever the case might be, they're always prepared. They always go out there and and know what they're supposed to do, which is, it sounds, it sounds like a low bar, but uh, there are a lot of NFL teams that have not looked like that at times throughout, you know, past decade or so that I've been watching football. So, uh, let's move along here. So, running through the draft classes of the past about 12 years. So, I'm going to do this the same for all of the teams. If you had an uh, uh, head of the organization who was there before 2011, I don't go back farther than that with the draft history stuff for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's just it's it's so many num- it's so many players to go through, um, and it's a little before my time, kind of. But also a big part of it is a lot of tactics changed uh, with with player acquisition, with the change of the CBA that was signed in 2011. So I like to use that as kind of a a, a stepping off point into the modern modern era of football. So you go back, you look through. This is the first four drafts that they had since 2011. And you see a lot of uh, excellent players, guys that have contributed for a long time, whether it was with the Steelers, whether it was at a very high level or just a decent level and among other teams. I mean, obviously Cameron Hayward has been a staple. So that being your first pick that we're even looking at here, that, you know, that's a, a home run of a pick, and he's still playing very well at this point. A little older, obviously, now. But, um, you know, David DeCastro played with them for a long time. Was a very good player. Um, Kelvin Beecham is still a starting tackle in this league. They have a history of uh, getting offensive linemen in the later rounds. It's always a little risky, but they've done a pretty good job of it. Um, Le'Veon Bell, obviously a big, a big one. Um and then just guys that have just helped out and and been part of the the team and just cycled out after three or four years and just brought more and more guys in. Um, Ryan Shazier was a really good player. Obviously, he got hurt. Or he didn't. He got. He had a pretty bad injury. I think that pretty pretty much ended his career. So uh, that's unfortunate. Stefan Tuitt's been a very good player for them. Um, a lot of these guys have had flashes. A lot of these receivers that they take in the second, third round, year after year after year after year. Um, Martavis Bryant is one of those guys. Um, and 
that's something that you'll you see pretty consistently with them, especially in especially even more so in the more recent years. Um, you got a third round wide receiver in Marcus Wheaton. Two years later, you have fourth round receiver in Martavis Bryant. Um, looking forward to 2015, you've got a third round wide receiver in Sammy Coates. Again, didn't really work out that well, but. Um, and so in 2017, Juju Smith-Schuster in the second. Uh, then uh, 2018, James Washington in the second. Um, and I'll look at a couple more as we go forward. But I don't want to jump past all these draft classes too quickly. But um, Bud Dupree was a decent player for them. Um, but they did turn around and come right back to the edge position in the following first round. Got TJ Watt. He's been essentially a franchise-altering player for them. He's one of the best in the entire league. He's been absolutely excellent. Um, the, the Their first-round selections over the past few years have not netted them quite what uh, they had been hitting on earlier in the the 20-teens. Um, Artie Burns, not so much. Terrell Edmonds, yeah, he's back on a, a pretty low contract, but he hasn't been spectacular. Um, Bud Dupree, they, they did hit him with a franchise tag, but then allowed him to move on. Um, they have a tendency to try and re-sign their players as much as possible. The draft is really important to, to to them for a couple of reasons. Obviously, one, it's the initial talent pool where you're drafting guys to play for you for three, four years. But also, it's the primary talent pool from which you're you know sending guys to veteran contracts to be part of your team long term. A lot of teams say they want to do that. The Steelers have been pretty consistent with it. Um, and, uh, you know... You have to draft well for that to really be effective, obviously. Um, but they've drafted well, developed well, and consistently gone back to those those players for those second contracts or even third contracts uh, in some cases. So, uh, Artie Burns, like I said, not the best. But then a couple of picks later, they got Javon Hargrave, or a couple of rounds later, I should say. He's been a really good player for them. Um, you know, you, you just see these draft classes littered with guys who have played in the league for a good number of years. Jesse James, um, Anthony Ciccolo played for them for a while. Uh, Cam Sutton, corner still on their roster at this point. Juju Smith-Schuster is now with the Chiefs. James, uh, James Connor, uh, now with the Cardinals. Just rosters, I mean, uh, draft classes full of guys who have played and I, I think that some of the top end of their roster is not quite as strong just because they hadn't hit on all those first-round players. Um, but they've, they've got these guys that, that have cycled through. James Washington was relatively productive. Mason Rudolph still on the roster. I think Marcus Allen is still on the roster. Mason Rudolph, uh, or maybe I just said him, Chakuma Ford. they just signed him to a multi-year contract to play right tackle. For the, for the next year or two, or we'll see how long it lasts, but not a top end of the market contract, but, you know, obviously he earned um, around $9 million per year, which is nothing to shake a stick at. You look forward to 2019, again, not the greatest in the first round, um, obviously he's still with them, he hasn't been an absolute bust, but considering they traded up 10 picks to take him, not really what you were hoping for, um, Deontay Johnson has been a really good player for them, especially last year. Um, so, 
2019 is the uh, first class that guys will still be on their rookie contract unless they've signed extensions. So Devin Bush is still there on rookie deal. Deontay Johnson, Justin Lane, Benny Snell. Um, I think Isaiah Bugs is still there. Ulysses Gilbert is still there. They like You'll see that their roster is pretty much loaded up with players that were from these last four draft classes. Um, Najee Harris has been really good for them. Pat Fryermuth is developing well. Kendrick Green, not as much. Um, I think he played center for them last year, and he did struggle a bit, so they signed a player to take over for that, uh, that spot. Um, Dan Moore Jr. is their, their starting left tackle, fourth-round guy from a couple of years ago. Um, I guess he was a, a actually he would have been a rookie last year. Um, and I'll talk about about their uh, offensive line a little bit uh, later. But um, you know, considering your starting left tackle is a fourth round pick that playing on a rookie deal that that's value in one sense, but also I'm not sure I'm not sure that's really the ideal. To be perfectly honest, uh, we'll see how it works for them. I think they have a plan um, for for what they're going to try and accomplish on offense and play complementary football. But we'll see we'll see how it is because all it takes is one or two things to go wrong, and it's 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 questionable to me personally. But um, again, you're going to see more of the uh, wide receiver in the second and third round uh, pattern. Deontay Johnson in third in 2019. Uh, you've got Alex, uh, sorry, Chase Claypool in the second in 2020. Uh, then George Pickens just this past year in the second. Um, they also drafted Calvin Austin the third uh, in the fourth. So they really do like to hit those receiving skill positions uh, pretty consistently. Um, and they don't love to pay those guys uh, second contracts. Obviously, Antonio Brown, uh, a different kind of player, just one of the best in the league. And, you know, along with all his other stuff, he absolutely dominated for years. And so that would have been just before I, these draft classes that I put up there. But he's really the only uh, receiver that they drafted in that this past 10, 11, 12 years. Uh, that has gotten a contract like that. Um, so they just cycle these guys through and uh, and are generally pretty productive. Um, so, uh, uh, and in 2020, they had traded their first round pick to, to go get Mika Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins. So, I mean, just looking at, at what we've seen so far, um, a lot of successful drafts, not necessarily all home run drafts. We saw a little bit more of them earlier in the 2010 era. Um, now, just a lot of players just coming in and being able to be successful NFL players, if not stars. Um, kind of looking at a lot of their uh, statistics here. Now, this is some of the stuff that I put all together myself. And I just like to do it because it gives a good feel for how they operate kind of com compared to the rest of the NFL and, and not just um, in, in a, in a way where we're just saying, Oh yeah, the Steelers always take, 
this kind of player here. They always take this kind of player here. That They care about this. This is actually like data that will tell us really what it is that they're trying to do and what they value and what they care about. So real quick, what these are compared to, what these tendencies and statistics are compared, compared to, are all of the other organizations who have at least uh, three years with the same leadership. So any any franchise that's had at least three years under the same gen current general manager, they're factored in, and there's 22 of them here. So um, if they're 20th, for example, in um, the percentage you, of their first-round picks used on premium positions, that means that they are third to last. There's only a 21st and a 22nd. I have a separate set of data for teams that have two or less. The only reason for that is just that I don't really like to compare those teams that are so early in the rebuild to teams that have had a little bit more continuity. Um, for one, the practices are, are sometimes a little bit different than what their long-term strategies will be, but also uh, just the fact that data can be so skewed. You know what I mean? If you've only had one draft, like you can have, it'll just say a hundred percent of your first round picks are used on any given position. So it just, it, it doesn't really make sense to, to compare to um, these teams that have been around a little bit longer in their current iteration. So what I have here are four different kind of chunks of, of data. First, I have how they've used their first round picks. So uh, the Steelers have only used 45% of their first round picks since 2011 on premium positions. So that would be um, quarterback, wide receiver, tackle, uh, defensive lineman, edge rusher, or corner. Now, different people might tell you different things, but if you look at how positions are paid generally for veterans in the NFL, those are pretty consistently the premium positions, if you will. So um, at 45%, they're 20th, which means they're the least concerned about hitting those premium positions versus a lot of other teams. Again, I'm not saying necessarily which one is right or wrong. I have my opinions, but you do see that tendency towards more classic uh, ideology when, when drafting players. Um, being more interested in the quality of the player versus specifically the position that he plays. Um, they also have definitely favored defense in the first round. 27% um, of their first round picks they've used on, uh, on offense, which is, again, 20th out of the 22. But on defense, they've used 73% of their picks. So third overall among, among those teams. So everybody knows that Steelers have favored defense, especially, you know, if you go back farther than 2011, and that would be even a little bit skewed more probably if I included like trades like for the Mink Fitzpatrick and whatnot, but I, I don't, these are all specifically draft selections. Um, uh, quarterback, I don't think it really matters that much. I mean, it's not necessarily like a quality statistics, quality statistic in this context, but I do include it just because um, it, I separate it out from offensive line, offensive skill, etc. So um, they have used only 9% of their first round picks on offensive linemen. So that's 18th. 
so not super high. Again, they have a tradition of finding offensive linemen in uh, the later rounds. Offensive skill, only one out of ten as well. That would be Najee Harris. And again, they just consistently go after skilled players in that second, third round. And they do it not, not every year, but they probably do it two out of every three years. They take a, a wide receiver relatively high or perhaps a tight end if you know it's the off year for wide receiver. Um, so they just don't do it in the first round, really. Defensive line... 36%, that's good for fourth out of those teams. And defensive skill, uh, 36%, which is good for sixth, tied with one other team. So if you're looking at this, at these uh, um, uh, these graphics, you'll see, like, if you see sixth for the defensive skill there, that, and the two after that means that there are two teams in sixth place. So that would be the Steelers tied with one other team. Um, so clear uh, leanings toward defense in those early rounds. When you go down to premium rounds, those would be rounds one through three. So it gives a little bit, a few more data points there to look at. Um, now, they go up to 67% on premium positions in the uh, those first three rounds. So even though they don't care that much about premium positions in the first round, it looks like they just tend to go more for the best player available at a position of need. Um, once they have gotten all the way through the second and third rounds, they do put that premium on those, those key positions. So um, I think, you know, probably part of that is the fact that they keep going back to that wide receiver position, but 67%, makes them uh, the fourth team ranked, uh, or I should say, that makes them the uh, team that uh, addresses premium positions the fourth highest percent of the time tied with three other teams. Um, offense goes up a little bit too. Um, after prioritizing defense in the uh, first round, they come back with, wide, uh, with offense pretty consistently. They are in eighth tied with one other team. Defense drops down to 13th, tied with one other team. Uh, offensive line, they still don't really hit that much. Um, only 14th, uh, tied for four other teams. That puts them kind of in the third quartile, approximately, of those 20 teams, so not super high there either. Um, offensive skill, fifth. You see that right there. Fifth tied with three other teams, or with two other teams, excuse me. Um, and defensive line ninth, so they're relatively even space, evenly spaced out, uh, with a clear predication towards those offensive skill positions. Um, if you look at the entire draft as a whole, um, they spend fifty-eight percent of their picks on premium positions. That's good for sixth, uh, tied with three other uh, teams. They tend towards defense overall at 52%, which makes them fifth, tied with one other team. So pretty high there. They, up to this point, their tendency has been uh, offense in the uh, defense in the first round, offense in those other premium rounds, and then back to defense for the rest of the draft. 
A lot of times you'll see teams who uh, use more defensive players as their uh, um, special teamers. Uh, they'll have more defense throughout the entire draft. And some teams will have more offense for their special teamers, so they'll have more offense throughout the entire draft. Um, I don't think it's an absolute rule, but I think it's a tendency that you see. Um, anything else that stands out? Defensive skill, sixth out of those teams at 35%. You see those defensive skill players are probably the ones who are primarily playing special teams as well. Um, so those are that's kind of what stands out as their overall trends. Um, offensive line, they are 21st and tied with one other team, which means they are tied for dead last in overall percentage of picks spent on the offensive line. I find that pretty interesting, considering that they've had a good offensive line for the majority of this past 10 years. So they've they've hit on picks consistently. Um, and they've been pretty effective. So, obviously, when you have a player like Ben Roethlisberger, um, who was kind of in his prime for a good chunk of that, uh, it makes it easier to play uh, offensive line. Not necessarily because it makes you better, because it's not like he's a guy who got the ball out that quickly for the majority of his career, but he was a guy who could make you right in the sense that, you know, if a guy, if a rusher got through, he could move, he could shake them off, he could extend the play. Now, I know that they have a kind of that in mind with Kenny Pickett, but um, I'm not sure how quickly that will necessarily translate because he doesn't have the same size and physical gifts that Ben Roethlisberger did. Um, so the last thing that I'll talk about for them in the draft segment is their average number of picks per draft class. Um, I like to compare these this statistic with how other teams are kind of um, prioritizing picks. So they, uh, they make 7.92 picks per draft, which is 13th in the NFL. So generally you're given seven picks. You might have a compensatory pick there. You might accumulate one or two picks along the way, however it might be. But they, they end up making just under eight picks per draft, and that's 13th in the NFL. Uh, they make uh, 0 0.92 first-round picks per draft, so almost one first-round pick per draft. Haven't really had two at all. Um, one year they didn't have one. So that's uh, tied for 12th. Premium rounds... They spend three picks per draft, which uh, is tied for 13th with five other teams. And in the late rounds, so picks four through seven, they make uh, 4.92 picks per draft, which is a 10th. So, you know, you see that kind of old school mentality, not necessarily moving around the draft that, that much, not really accumulating picks, so not spending picks to move up. Uh, most of the time, uh, not necessarily trading down to accumulate picks most of the time. You know, they do make some trades, you know, throughout the season, but they're usually lesser trades, not, not you know, big blockbuster types. So for the most part, they're pretty even, uh, pretty, pretty middle of the road. Um, I would say pretty vanilla as far as that goes. So 
Um, I'm going to move on to the salary cap portion of the video or of the, the breakdown next. So um, if you are watching on YouTube, you can go check that out right now because I should be posting them all at the same time. Oh, and just one other little thing to, to tack on there. Uh, for 2023 going forward for their draft picks, they have uh, six picks, a first, second, third, fourth, sixth, and seventh, all their own original picks. So, you know, there might be some fluctuation along the way, but that's perfect kind of uh, example of what I was just talking about. A tendency to be pretty vanilla as far as... Um, keeping their own picks, not moving up and down a ton in the draft. All of the contract numbers are from overthecap.com. I get pretty much all of my contract stuff from them all the time. They are awesome, so shout out to them. And um, follow me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. So if you like what I'm doing here, if you have any questions, and if you want me to do your team, make sure to get at me either on Twitter or in the comments. And if you're a Steelers fan, um, post my video on Twitter, uh, post it in any fan forums, because um, I can do more stuff like this if you help me get out there, and I'm trying to do as much as I can. I put a lot into putting all this together, so it might not be the flashiest, but I think you're going to get a lot of information here that you don't get other places. So, let's jump right into it. Okay, so we're going to make my face disappear here for just a second, so we can see this uh, uh, cap breakdown real quick now first and foremost I want to point out something um, this is not a cap hit chart this is an annual uh, salary per year chart and to me this is kind of a it the cap is super important but there are other ways that, that I'll kind of look at how they're using the cap. But in terms of their financial investment, this is a little bit more of an accurate way to look at it, I think, in some regards. And I'll explain more in a minute. But what this is, if you are watching on YouTube, which I, I kind of suggest you do for the cap part, because it can be hard to follow along with just so many numbers and dollar amounts um, just totally over the audio portion but um, TJ Watt is their most expensive player at just over 28 million per year Cam Hayward is their second most expensive player at 16.4 million per year and then Stefan Tuitt is their third at 12 million per year so their top three uh, most well compensated players are all defensive linemen now I mean I know TJ Watt is an outside linebacker, but, um, you know, he's, he's a 3-4 outside guy, which more or less makes him a, a trench player, in my opinion. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick is their uh, fourth most highly compensated player. At this point, I'm going to use any players who are on their fifth-year option as their uh, average per year because... To me, it just kind of makes more sense to look at that number almost like a, a baby franchise tag, if you will. So I'm just going to use that number, which is what he's playing on right now, 10.6 approximately million. So then Chukuma Korafor, 
right tackle, uh, making $9.75 million in the first year of his new contract. Um, they brought James Daniels over from uh, the Bears to play guard for them. Interior was a little bit of an issue last year. Uh, Miles Jack at $8 million, who they signed after the Jaguars cut him. Then Mitchell Trubisky at 7.4 and change. So he is probably, you know, in the old school sense, the leader for the number one spot. But I suspect that's pretty temporary. Uh, Mason Cole, center at 5.25. Another interior lineman uh, that they brought over to help out that, that group a little bit. Um, I think I think he's an improvement, but I don't think it's a substantial improvement. And so it's still an area of the roster that I would be a little bit concerned about. Then they've got Mason Rudolph at uh, essentially $5 million. And uh, then Devin Bush, for first-round pick from 2019. He's still playing on his initial rookie deal, which is brings him in around $4.7 million per year, more or less. Um, Cameron Sutton, corner at 4.5. Chris Wormley, interior defensive line at 4.5. And, you know, as you go down the list... Um, those are kind of all their highest paid players. And most of the rest of the list, um, you've got a few more veteran guys uh, from various places, Akella Weatherspoon, Levi Wallace. Uh, but, you know, you're going to see a ton of drafted players make up the rest of this. And the good teams have, have this chunk, you know, from approximately halfway down their salary cap or their their average per year breakdown that are almost all their own draft picks and the bad teams have a bunch of guys who might be UDFAs guys who might be um you know just Joe Schmo from whoever from some other roster who didn't make the team um guys that they picked up off of waivers and not that any of those are bad individually but um if if at least the majority of that second half of your roster isn't made up of your own draft picks probably means that you're not drafting super well and you can see here that the the, the uh, Steelers for the most part are most of these guys are guys that are have been in that uh from those draft classes from 2019 through 2022 All right, let's move along. Okay, so now what we're looking at is average per year versus the actual cap itself. So when you look at all of those average per year numbers that I just had a minute ago, um, that totals $196,230,399 in uh, average per year spending. Now, it's not a perfect representation of the cash they're spending this year. There are other factors that go into that, whether there are guarantees uh, that teams have to put in escrow or whether, for whatever reason, the salary in one year is a little bit more or a little bit less than the average. It's, it's a pretty good approximation of their overall investment in their roster. Um, I think it's, it's probably the most accurate single number that you can come up with that isn't 
uh, you know, just like going way down that rabbit hole. And then you can compare that to their cap spending. So what have they actually, uh, how much are they leveraged against the cap with those numbers? So uh, their cap spending for these uh, sort of projected 53-man roster is $179 million. $691,055. So it, there is a variance there. It's to be expected. Um, some of it is built in just because of the way that rookie contracts work, but just a, a small amount. But overall, they are not heavily leveraged against the salary cap at all. Those numbers being less than $20 million apart are, you know, that's, that's I would say... Um, a conservative approach to spending versus the cap. And we've, we've seen them do a little bit different before, but I think it's an indication that they view their roster as in a, in a, as competitive, but, but in that kind of transitionary period, and they will probably be more prepared to leverage themselves against the cap a little bit more in the next few years. I would, I would imagine that's just my, my kind of estimation. Um, in terms of offensive, defensive, special teams, and dead cap, I like to compare these. Um, so, offensively, they are spending in APY. $68,498,901. That's a pretty low amount for offense. Um, and a huge part of that is just because of how many of their offensive players are still on their rookie contracts. Uh, quarterback is still on the rookie contract. Um, at least two starting linemen, I believe, are still on a rookie contract. Um, Pretty much all of their primary receivers are on rookie contracts, running backs on rookie contract, tight ends on rookie contracts. So, you know, if you look at the majority of the, the primary contributors on offense, pretty much all but three offensive linemen are on those rookie deals. So it's not necessarily that they haven't made investments there, but financial investments, not so much. A um, bunch of first and second round picks. Uh, make up those groups. Uh, defensive cap spending is $123,529,998. So, uh, obviously, way more spending on that side of the ball. Um, like I said, their top three most expensive players are uh, defensive linemen, and then the fourth is safety. So, special teams, $4,201,500. Uh, so, you know, pretty average special team spending there. Um, and then uh, dead money at this point is $25,293,424. Uh, I don't have the exact breakdown of that in front of me, but I do believe the majority of that uh, it comes from the Ben Roethlisberger retirement. They uh, used a bunch of void years to bring him back and kind of keep their cap together. So right now... Um, they had one of the not great cap situations over the past couple of years. And with the retirement of Ben Roethlisberger, they took a little bit of a lump there. Um, but right now they're not hev heavily leveraged against it. They don't have a ton of space to make moves, but I think 
they do have flexibility kind of going into next year. So we'll see how things go with the rookie quarterback play. And, uh, you know, once they have a, a good feel for that, I think they'll have a good feel for for what they want to do going forward. For the offensive breakdown, um, they have seventeen million three hundred three thousand six hundred six hundred ninety four going towards the quarterback position. Um, it's that's not as low as you might expect for a team that has that rookie quarterback, but um, they they have um, both Mason Rudolph and. Um, both Mason Rudolph and Mitchell Trubisky, both on contracts that are not like vet minimum. So, you know, when you combine that with a top 20 pick, you get about 17.3 million. In the scheme of the quarterback position, nothing crazy by any means, but um, but not, not crazy low either. Uh, offensive tackle. This one is, this is a spot where I, I have questions about the team going into next year. And you can see that in their spending compared to other teams. They have only 13 point, uh, or 13,994,475, um, invested at that position, which is basically 14 million. And I mean, a lot of teams have more than 14 million invested in just one tackle position. And, you know, I understand that, you know, you have to pick and choose where you spend your money, but the fact that they haven't spent either money, really, or high draft picks there with the rookie quarterback situation, again, I don't want to harp on it, but it stands out to me as a place where they're probably going to have some weakness. Um, interior offensive line... A um, little more, but still nothing crazy. Sixteen million two hundred ninety thousand seven hundred and twenty-seven. Wide receiver is crazy low. I mean, I, if I had to guess, this they might be one of the lowest spending teams in the league at the wide receiver position. Only eight million four hundred forty-six thousand two hundred sixty-three for you know all the wide receivers that fall in that top fifty-three kind of uh, projection. Um. Tight end, $7,392,006. Uh, and again, rookies primarily, or rookie contract guys primarily. And running back, 5071736 So, you know, the fact that all three of their skill groups probably are total what, maybe about 15 so all three of their skill groups combined barely hit 20 million dollars like that's that's so 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 cheap now but again what they trade off for in in terms of uh, spending they they do have talent but it's young talent you know um it does take wide receivers generally a couple of years to really properly develop. So Deontay Johnson's kind of there. Chase Claypool's kind of on his way there. And then you just, you know, you really have no idea how George Pickens is going to come up and come in and be in. You know, obviously 
it's a valued draft pick in terms of the kind of talent he has, but you just have no idea what a rookie wide receiver will contribute. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, 51,913,941 on defense, uh, on uh, interior defensive line, 30,266,953 uh, at the edge position. Two hundred and uh, excuse me, two twenty-two million two hundred ninety thousand eight hundred nine at the linebacker position. So, um, you know, not too cheap there. And then fifteen million three hundred thirty-three thousand two hundred ninety-five dollars at the corner position. Now that's the one other place on this team where I think you know I have some questions, um, and they have neither substantial draft picks nor financial investment really at that position right now. And then safety at 14,337,000 uh, even. In terms of the salary tier breakdown, this is also something I like to look at to see kind of how top heavy or middle heavy a roster is, uh, just from a visual sense. So they have no one at 40 plus million per year. They have no one at 30 to 39 million per year. They've got one player at 20 to 29 million per year. They've got three players at 10 to 19 million per year. They have five players at 5 to 9 million per year. They have 18 players at 2 to 4 million per year and 26 players at under 2 million per year. So, um, you know, the 5 at 5 to 9 and the 18 to uh, from 2 to 4 that makes them a relatively middle-heavy roster. Um, and the fact that most of that 26 of the less than $2 million per year are all draft picks, um, it means that it's... You can see, like, it's kind of funny when you look at it. It's like... I think it's kind of like when a person who <laughs> who who can, like, read sheet music can, like, kind of hear the music just looking at the sheet when you when you look at the breakdown of what the roster is from a financial and draft investment perspective like you can kind of just see how they're always competitive because the quality of talent that you can keep on that bottom of the roster is so different if you're hitting on draft picks even if they're not like big time players if they're NFL quality players it just makes such a difference because something a lot of people don't realize, I think, is the fact that there's probably a a larger change in annual salary from pick one to pick six than there is, or maybe not pick six, but like there's probably a larger difference in the salary of of draft drafted players from pick one to ten than there is from pick. 32 to 200 and whatever and I don't I'm not looking at it exactly how it breaks down but basically the the top the first especially the top of the first round those players are making in the vicinity of 10 million per year and that drops down pretty rapidly to the point where in the second round you're usually looking at around two plus million per year and by the time you're out of the second round you're making under two million per year all the way down to the bottom of of the draft so, you know, if you're if you're bringing in 
say four to five and viable NFL players per year from rounds three, four, five, six, and seven, however you break it down. That's so many decent players that you were able to select instead of just take off the scrap heap to maintain that bottom of the roster. So it just makes sense why they've been so good for so long. Um, and the last thing that I have here for their uh, cap breakdown is I have them, all of the numbers that I just talked about in terms of their total uh, average per year investments, um, their offensive spending, defensive spending, special teams, dead money, and then all of the positional spending, I have it all compared to the other teams within their division. So you can kind of see how invested they are financially uh, compared to the other teams that they play against the most. You know, six of their games uh, come against these teams. So you kind of want to see how they stack up against them. Um, in terms of APY, they're fourth out of all, all of the AFC North teams. Um, the differential between their APY spending and their, their cap spending is 16269344 which is third, which means um, of the AFC North, they are third of those four teams in, in terms of how leveraged against the cap they are. Um, so they're, they're kind of the, the third most all-in, so to speak. Um, on offense, they're fourth. That's no surprise at under 70 million per year, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, sort of per year salary investment defense. They're first again, no surprise at 123, over 123 million in, in uh, average per year. Special teams, kind of whatever, but they're third at $4.2 million. And dead money, with that near $26 million uh, hit, they are first. When you look at the positional breakdown, uh, they are third at quarterback, despite having a rookie. Um, they are, are third at $17.3 million, approximately. Tackle, they're fourth. Again, no surprise there. They have not spent their um, interior offensive line, third. Wide receiver, third. Tight end, third. Running back, fourth. So um, they are uh, they're not higher than third in any offensive position spending compared to the other teams in the AFC North. And then uh, on the defensive side of the ball, um, interior defensive line, first, edge, second, linebacker, first, uh, corner and safety, both fourth. So corner, again, comparatively speaking, without high draft investment or financial investment, that does project to be the weak part of their roster. Again, and I watched some games to kind of prepare for this. So, you know, I, 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 I see how it works for them. I see what the plan is for them on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, when you're looking at it just from what they've invested, it, it does lend itself to be a weaker position. And again, tackle is the other one of those, uh, to be sure. Um, all right, so that's going to be it for the salary cap portion of the breakdown. 
So if you're listening, I'm going to jump right into the roster uh, uh, and what it's going to look like for 2022. And if you are watching on YouTube, then you can hop over and check that out right now. Like I said, should all be live. All right, so when we're looking at the offensive side of the ball, I've got everybody here who's currently either under contract or a 2022 draft pick that might not be signed yet officially. So there's always fluidity when you're looking at um, rosters at this time of year. There's always shuffling at the bottom of the roster. I think by the time that this goes out, this is still probably going to be um, up to date but you really you never know. Um, but just looking at what they've got here, um, they signed James Daniels and Mason Cole, who are who project to be the center and right guard of uh, their line. Um, they signed Chikuma Korafor to a multi-year deal to play right tackle. And he was their right tackle last year. Uh, it looks like Dan Moore Jr. and Kevin Dotson should be um, in line to play a left tackle and left guard or to return as those as those um, starters for them this coming year so you know just starting at the offensive line when I watched some games to, to prepare for this and I, I didn't go crazy with them I watched three games I watched one versus each divisional opponent and um, I always like, because I just can't watch everything, can't, like, look at every game of theirs. And it's just to refresh myself, because obviously I watched some last year, too. But the offensive line was, was not stellar. And so I understand all the limitations that were there with Ben Roethlisberger. He could not consistently throw the deep ball. I mean, I would go to the point and say he consistently could not throw the deep ball. He had a pretty one here and there. But for the most part, he just he couldn't do it. He just didn't have the accuracy anymore. He just didn't have the strength deep. Um, and they were trying to get the ball out very, very quickly. And any time he wasn't, the offensive line was pretty leaky. Um, I think, you know, I, there's a reason that center and right guard are the, the positions that are being replaced because I do think that those were the weakest of those um but you know something else that I noticed is that it wasn't just being leaky it was penalties like it I watched I only watched three games but it was a consistent um a consistent feature if you will of those three games was the Steelers offensive line penalties and you know, I can't say for sure if that was ultra consistent throughout the year, but the fact that I saw it in three different games consistently from three different kind of chunks of the year lead me to believe that that, that might not go away. And their center was definitely the biggest violator from what I saw, but, you know, I saw some penalties from Chakum Okorafor, from Kevin Dotson. I think even Dan Moore had one at one point, and, you know, if I caught 
one of his from that he had all year, fine. But um, I just think from a talent perspective, they're a little bit out-talented right now. Um, and, you know, the fact that Okorafor got $9 million, it really says all you need to know. Because, you know, maybe... Maybe he just didn't have a better offer out there, but but ultimately, the right tackle market has gone up for high quality tackles to on the verge of twenty million per year. So the fact that he's only getting half of that suggests that you know he's probably not a long term right tackle answer. Um, even though they gave him a multi-year deal, it just doesn't seem like, you know, or if, if he is like, he's got to be one of the worst players on your team and on your, on your, on your offensive line. And right now it just doesn't look like that to me. Um, I just worry about that. And, and from an offensive perspective, I know what their plan is. They're going to run play action. They're going to run the ball and they're going to rely on Najee Harris as a, you know, and, and as a very, very talented player um, to help with the run game. And they're going to get the ball out quickly and, and get their playmakers at the wide receiver position to make plays as well. And and they're going to play stout defense. So I get that. I get the, 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 the logic behind that. But I think in any game where you fall behind you know, more than three points or so for any length of time. This is not an offense that's going to be probably particularly good at making that up right now. Um, and maybe that will develop a little bit as the year goes on. But early in the year, I'm not super confident in, in what this offense is going to put out on the field. Um, and again, it's not, it's not just talent, really, because there's plenty there, but it's more about the... the some of the parts right now, you know, um, from a skill position perspective, they've got Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, and Calvin Austin, the third, all, uh, draft picks by them. Um, Deontay Johnson, he had a really nice year last year. I think he's a very good player. Um, you know, they clearly miss him when he's not out there that much is obvious. Chase Claypool's a guy that, you know, he is incredibly talented. I mean, if you're looking at pure physical ability, he's got to be like one of those top five guys in the league as far as that goes. Um, and I, th- I, I think it's kind of coming together. You know, what it, I see out there, though, also is not the greatest like situational football awareness. So... I feel like a player like Ben Roethlisberger probably could have developed him even better going into his third year. You would have been able to help him see what's happening on the field a little bit better. Um, you know, remind him of things here and there. I I have no idea how effective a rookie quarterback is going to be at doing that. So, like, I'm I'm hopeful for for Claypool, but. I would not be surprised for him to not have the best year this year. Um, Pickens and Austin, both 
super talented in their own way. George Pickens is more of that like, classic bigger receiver. Austin is a super small, speedy guy. Um, very effective out of the slot. So they'll probably have a plan for him. You know, and then to kind of round out the, the bottom of the chart, they've got probably the guys that will end up making the team will be um, probably probably Anthony Miller, Miles Boykin, and Gunnar Olszewski, or maybe just two of those guys. Um, Olszewski's a return specialist. So um, that's, you know, he, he takes care of, I think, both of those return spots probably okay. And if, if not, definitely punt return. Um, running back, you know, the fact... The fact that I think I have it here a little weird. I think probably Anthony McFarland Jr. would be their second best or their number two on the chart, but whatever. Um, I um, doesn't matter that much. But obviously, Najee Harris is their lead back. He's going to see the majority of the carries. Crazy talented player, um, and he just he has it all. He really has it all. He's got the size, the physicality, um, the change of direction, the speed. The receiving skills, um, you know, the vision. He's he's one of the best running backs to come out in the past few years. And, you know, you can see that last year. Like, he's he's, he's probably going to be the focal point of the offense in 2022. And I think they kind of wanted him to be last year as well. Um, but it's still a lot to ask from a rookie. Uh, and then from the tight end position, uh, Pat Fire Pat Fryermuth, um, I think he definitely came on as the year went along. You know, earlier on they had Ebron taking more snaps from him, but I thought he played pretty well uh, in the later game that I saw. So I'm pretty optimistic about him being their starter as well. And then at the quarterback position, I mean, you know, I don't think I need to sit here and tell you that. Anytime you have a rookie quarterback who's probably going to be your year-long starter, you're going to have ups and downs. You know, when you look at their offense as a whole, his skill set lends itself to um, his skill set lends itself to the play-action game because he's not like a crazy off-platform thrower, but He's mobile. He's got good mobility, and and he can throw on the move. Um, there's definitely, I think people sometimes don't realize the difference between throwing on the move and throwing off platform, because like if you're if you're kind of in phase uh, on a rollout and throwing the ball on the move, that's totally different than like a true off platform throw where you're like escaping pressure and you don't you're not able to. Um, kind of use your your trained mechanics for that so I'm not sure he's not really an off-platform guy but he's definitely a mobile thrower so you know he's gonna work well with the play action um, and he can extend plays he did it in college I'm not sure how much he's gonna be able to do it in college I mean in uh, in the pros and I think not down the field so much you know he'll be able to extend the play and you know hit a guy like that you know is coming off of a you know a, a flat route right so if he has to roll if he's rolling if he has to escape right and a guy who ran a flat route 
breaks inward on like sort of like a pseudo slant as the secondary move. Like he's gonna be able to hit that kind of stuff on the uh, on the move, maybe off platform, but I don't think down the field. So um, it's gonna be need to be a primarily in structure offense, I think. Um, but I can see how it can be at least effective enough to win. And like I said, uh, in in the beginning. Mike Tomlin always has his teams prepared. And so, you know, I think I think what you'll see the offense struggle with is just a, a straight up talent deficiency on the offensive line and some rookie mistakes from a quarterback. And ultimately, it's probably going to keep you out of serious contention this year. Um, but it's it's the kind of thing where if you can keep a lot of these guys together, maybe address tackle in the first round next year, um, and then have that year of development from Pickett, you're probably going to get right back in contention real quick. So, <clears throat> and then let's take a look at the defensive side of the ball. So, the Steelers run a 3-4. You know, traditionally they have three down linemen, bigger guys. Cam Hayward is probably one of the best um, three, four linemen in the NFL. Um, even at this point, he's not like a crazy pass rusher, but he just does everything well. You know, he does, he pushes the pocket nicely on pass downs, you know, um, Depending on who he's matched up against, he can demand a double team. He's excellent against the run. Um, just so reliable. And um, Stefan Tuitt and Tyson uh, Alualu are... I mean, Alualu is definitely not a pass rusher. Um, he's off the field on those third down moments. Um, Tuitt, I mean, he's a good player. I don't think he's ever been really an elite pass rusher, but... Um, Definitely a high quality player and does everything you need from from that um, three four D end spot. Now the real the real cream of this defense is TJ Watt, and I mean it's not it's not just that he won Defensive Player of the Year last year, which I think he did, uh, but like the the, the type of defense that they are able to run when he's out there versus when he's not out there it's just completely different because he he's an animal I mean whether it's blowing up run plays whether it's getting after the quarterback on a consistent basis uh, forcing uh, fumbles like he just does everything and he's just all over the place and so you know they they definitely have good players but they are quite simply not an elite defense if he's not in the game. They're just a good defense. And I know that great players always are kind of the linchpin of, of any unit. Um, but like I, I genuinely think the overarching success of this season essentially 
rides on TJ Watt being available for the majority of the year, if not pretty much every game. You know, because the corners, the corners are, are not spectacular. I mean, I think Minka Fitzpatrick from the safety position, he does, he makes up for a lot of things. Um, he's probably their second best player. You know, he's, he's all over the place. Like he's always around the ball. Um, super instinctive, really smart player. Um, I think he's a, he's a great piece to have, but he can only be on really one kind of half of the field at a time. And the fact that, you know, Cam Sutton is, is one corner, probably corner one and Levi Wallace is their other. I mean, if you're going up against a team that has two good receivers, like he, it's it's a kind of a tough spot, and they're really going to be relying on pass rush to to benefit those guys. You know, and you can funnel coverages as much as you want, but if you don't have an elite pass rusher like T.J. Watt, it probably is is not going to go well for you. So, um, you know, the the effective the effectiveness is definitely feasible, but just you know, from what I watched last year, and and what I see this roster made up of, it's it, it, the, an overall successful season in the sense that you know, being in legitimate contention for that wild card spot, maybe even getting it, because um, I just don't see them as division winners this year. Um, it's going to rely on. The offense um, really playing within its structure, you know, um, minimizing rookie mistakes, getting the ball in Najee Harris's hands, getting the ball out quickly to the wide receivers to make plays, um, and play action as the primary source of their downfield passing attack. I think, you know, if if that if if they can manage that and not get too beat up at the line of scrimmage. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they have TJ Watt for pretty much all of their games, or at least most of them. I think, you know, they can be a fringe playoff team. Um, I think there's a lot of ifs there, though. So, I mean, to me personally, I, I I love the Steelers in the sense that I can see a clear plan. I see a vision. I I understand what they're trying to do on a 2022 basis and a beyond basis, and it makes sense to me. And I'm I'm definitely okay with not going all in um, on 2022. You know, without really knowing for sure what the quarterback situation is going to look like for you in in the years going forward. Um, but, um, I just think like, you know, if you're a Steelers fan, go, go for it, like cheer your team on, be hyped about, about your team for this coming year. Um, like go into every game expecting to win. I totally get that. Um, but like, you know, from an outside analyst perspective, I think this, this is more than likely going to be a year where you're going to lose some close games. Probably just a few too many to make it into the playoffs. And 
there's going to be a lot of optimism going forward, and you're probably going to be really right back in it in 2023. That's my, those are my thoughts kind of regarding the team. Um, and, and we'll see, we'll see if I'm right. And we'll see if they make any other kinds of surprise moves that add some talent to the offensive line or something like that. Um, because I don't think it would move the needle that much, but you really, you never know. Um, I like that they added Miles Jack. I liked, I like, I like everything that they have on defense, um, except really that that corner group. And it's not it's not terrible. It just relies so heavily on that elite pass rush. I think, you know. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if they. We'll see if they can do it. Um, and of course, if anybody really cares, they got their special teamers there. Um, but that's really more just for com- being a completionist than, <laughs> than I think anybody really wants to hear anything about that. So if you made it all the way through, um, let me know what you think. Let me know if you like the way that I've broken this down for you. Um, you know, at this point in the year, I think, you know, rather than doing film reviews of the team with, with players they don't even have anymore, um, or talking million times about the same draft picks that everybody else is. I just wanted to look at at, at it from both a current and long-term perspective from the draft cap and like full-on roster perspective. And so I'm going to be doing that for as many teams as possible. If you want me to do your team like this, um, like I said, I'm, I'd love to do all of them. It seems a little unlikely. So if you have one you really want me to do, um, Throw it in the comments, hit me up on Twitter, um, tweet out my video or or any of the videos I'm doing for any of these teams. Tell me which one you want me to do because any interaction from you guys is definitely going to push me towards doing yours first, your team first and making sure I get it done before um, the season starts. Because once we really get into the season, obviously I'm not going to be doing this anymore. I'm going to move on to you know what's actually happening. So pretty much whatever I get done before the maybe the third preseason game, that's going to be it. Um, but yeah, um, that's it for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, and I feel like, how can I have not mentioned that they hired Omar Khan? So, you know, the news of that just came out in the last day or so, which was pretty much expected. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that they ever had any inti- intention to hire without. I think they were doing due diligence, and I also think that they were kind of just gathering information, um, you know, getting insights from other people around the league who they were interviewing. But I think, you know, they're a team that feels like they, they maybe don't have like the formula, but they have their formula. And, you know, I think there's definitely something to be said for that. So I went a little bit long. Maybe I can streamline a little bit more for some of the other teams, but yeah, if you're a Steelers fan or if you, uh, just wanted to hear about the Steelers and you're another AFC North fan, then, uh, yeah, you got a good hour plus of, of content. So cheers, like subscribe, follow me on Twitter at the max Dean, and let me know which team you want me to do next. All right. Have a good night, everybody.